Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Uh, not joining us today is intern Erica. Uh, yeah. Um, but we will be sending her these files to edit, to do her magic yeah, on. We're still putting her to work, for sure. You know it. Yeah. Um, and happy belated birthday to her. She had a birthday on the weekend. So. Yeah, she partied pretty good. We might put up a, a video of her partying. It was pretty epic. And before we started rolling, Shane said that uh, Erica reminds him of a young Shane. Of course, she's the exact same. In yeah. what sense? Let her listeners well, know. Well, she'll get a little roasty when she's drinking. Then, she, <laughs> then, she, then she'll feel bad about it in the morning, and she'll say sorry. And then uh, she'll just do wild things. Like she might, she might. This I'm not sure if this happened, but she might like hop behind a bar and start drinking straight from the tap. <laughs> I might have done that in my day. Might yeah, that have. Is very much a Shane. Bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, true. She did, in fact, do that. We'll be posting video later on the Michael Much podcast. Yeah, she's a real heckler. Oh yeah, and you are too when you're drinking. Exactly, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, lots going on. Fellas, today we're going to talk about a few things, uh, and one of those things is uh, last night, uh, Max and I uh, went to the Strokes concert. They played uh, Bud Stage. It was the big opening night gala, as the mm-hmm. na- uh, let everybody know. There was fireworks. Yeah. All the Champagne Boys were there, minus Shane, basically. Where, why did you come? Well, I didn't want to buy a ticket because with these virtual things, it's always like, he'll always send a message in the group like, all right, guys, uh, Annie up. It's time to pay. If you're expecting free tickets, you're not going to get them. And then, of course, I end up buying the ticket. And then, of course, it, it'll be like, all right, I have three like up-close tickets. Who, who didn't buy tickets? And then he gives them out to those people. And then Mike, who didn't have a ticket. Yeah. All of a sudden, he was there, like, dancing away. Exactly what you described is what happened to yeah. me. But I, you knew that was going to happen, too, right? Like, it's always in On play. some subconscious level. But here's the thing. If, if, from my position, you have to be willing not to go to the show. Like, there's a good chance that tickets and won't pop up. And you have to be willing up. to pay last minute if you really want to go exactly. to the show. Exactly. So, so, yeah, my situation was literally... Because it was a big weekend. The Raptors played on uh, Sunday night, and Danica and I went. It was great. Uh, and then, obviously, the Stroke show was last night, Monday. And um, I was like... I was like, eh, I knew all the guys got tickets, and people would be going. It was a fun thing. I was like, if I want to go, I'll pop in last minute. So our friend Simon Jane's like, hey, I got some tickets. I'm like, you know what? I might take a single and pop by. It's shows at like 8.30 or whatever, or 9 o'clock, the stroke's going on, so I can do all this stuff, put the baby down. Are these free tickets or money tickets? I would have paid for the Simon ticket, but I was, I was in the park with my brother and Dan Hamilton, and I guess they were meeting up with Maxie later, so I kind of let them know that, and then go about my Sunday with the baby and Danica, and then all of a sudden I got a text from Maxie, and he says, do not buy tickets, I got you sorted. Him and, and Mandra Ash actually sorted me out, so I was like, sweet! It's like, sorry Simon, I'm not going to take that ticket. Uh... And he was like, cool. And but then, I, I only reached out to Mike, though, because I had heard that he was about to buy yeah, a Yeah, Greg ticket. and Dan had told him yeah. that. Yeah, and, and if I, I kind of assumed that you were going to the show. In my mind, Yeah, you a lot of people would it. assume, but it's, it, concerts are very tricky because I find I get into the cycle of I'll buy a concert ticket, and it's always like a month away, and you're really pumped about it when you buy it. And then the day of the concert, you never want to go. I don't know why it is, but that doesn't happen to you? No. Nope. Oh. Yeah, I mean, this, this. I guess you're playing in the shows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, why as I did I buy stage? this stupid ticket? <laughs> um, and two, I had I had hung out with Albert Hammond Jr. before. Like, we partied with him at Absinthe, and we like picked him up from the airport. So, and then we went to see their last reunion tour at Madison Square Gardens with partying with everyone in the best possible scenario. We went to New York City, Shane and I, and a bunch of our friends. This was Like 10 years ago. Yeah, and and that was considered when they were like, oh, they're getting a little old, you know? <laughs> yeah, we went to the first Nostalgia sort of tour uh, in New York City. It was amazing. So yeah, like them at Bud Stage is kind of like... It's not as exciting if you're Shane. And then knowing you have to wake up at 5 a.m. to come do the podcast on a freezing cold Canadian day in an outdoor concert. I wasn't like super jealous. That being said, I was the most jealous I had ever been watching people do things that I'm not doing on social media. Yeah. Yeah. The FOMO going. And it turned out more than ever. I was like buzzing about it. Like I was like, fuck. Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was a good one. I will say the system of uh, not buying a ticket and, and waiting for the last minute only works if all your friends kind of buy a ticket. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're reliant on other people not being us. Yeah. Yeah, because if everybody was doing the thing where they're kind of lurking around waiting for a free ticket to emerge, then it would be pandemonium once Birchall or me goes, oh, there's an extra ticket, and then it would be hard to suss through. So shout out, all else to say, shout out to the Champagne Boys who bought tickets. Well, and my brother and I, <laughs> this is what Greg was saying, because he's obviously known to be a little bit cheap, is he was like, he's like, fuck, fuck, I bought these lawns. And now everybody else is going to have these amazing seats because, you know, he found out that I got sorted by Major S. I'm like, listen, Greg, you know how these things work. Get your ass in the building 
and then you'll probably get moved up somewhere sweet. And by the end of the concert, we like underground railroaded all of our friends into the third row. <laughs> by the way, I started using that term last night. And is that insensitive? You know what? I put it in the text and I was like, maybe I shouldn't. But historically, people know what I'm referring to. Yeah, but basically what we did is there, there was a, a bunch of us. We're saving them from the lawns. Yeah. <laughs> that we brought people. Basically, we did the old trick where we handed Just everybody. movie ticket theater scam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you gave your ticket to the person going out to the lawns. Those people have the tickets that, and then they are flash them as they go down to the road. Yeah, everyone knows what we're talking about. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it felt very heroic in the moment. Though. It really did. Yeah, when you when you're a couple tall boys in and your friends start joining you with like two at a time, you're like, we're doing it. So we had our tickets, uh, and so I go up to the lawns, and uh, I'm like, Jules, I'm like, uh, I've got two extra tickets. Come meet me at the spot. He's like, it's okay, man. I'm with three guys. And I'm like, I think we can make it happen. I'm like, basically. Who were the guys? Oh, it, no, it was like they had, I only had two tickets, but it was him, Felix, and, and Psycho. Oh, okay. All the other dudes had already managed to sneak down into the good and seats. And Julian's so virtuous. He's like, no man left behind. <laughs> well, this is what I said. And I thought about it. I was like, yeah, he is right. And I was like, no, come meet me. I'm like, we're going to make it happen. And then he was like so grateful as, like, as he was being shepherded in. He was like, thanks, man. And that was, that's exactly what I said. I was like, no man left behind. <laughs> and then we were all there just you know, singing along to all the tunes. Because Sean... Dawson did message me that he had an extra ticket. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so you could have come. I could have, but the message came at like 10 p.m. So it was almost like a taunt more than anything. <laughs> Wait, He's like, where are you? I got an extra ticket. <laughs> and then he sent me a video of them rocking out. 13 yeah. seconds. Yeah, long. but the show was awesome. Um, you know, we all love the strokes. It was a very important band to us, like in our, in that pivotal the time. The most and, important band, yeah, I would say. At a pivotal time as a young person, you know, when you care the most about music. When, how old were you in, like, 2000? 2001. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, like high school. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, they obviously don't work a ton, but they come back every couple of years and seem to cash in on all the festivals. And it's like, if you're the strokes, it's a pretty sick life because you don't have to do any real touring. It's not like they like book a tour and are like grinding it out, grinding it out. Like, see you, honey, I'll be back in three months kind of thing. They're just like, I just, I can, I just, I always think about what it must be to be their manager to kind of seemingly do no work <laughs> and just like pick up the phone. It's like Lollapalooza, Brazil wants us. How much? A million dollars. Guys, you guys want to go to Brazil? I put a private jet in the deal. Like, cool. And then that's sort of been their life for like the last... And there's no expectation for the stage show to be any good at all. And even if the show is good, it's actually a detriment to them. They have to look like very like they don't really give a shit, right? They just kind of stand Well, at times last night, I don't think they did. (laughs) (laughs) It was sloppy, looks like. This is the best thing about being in The Strokes is that... There's moments of brilliance in the show where they they sound fucking amazing, yeah. And Julian really does something kind of charming, and you're like, this band is on fire. And then, but then part of seeing the strokes is them being shitty too. So it's like they played a new song, and uh, like the their drum- new song is horrible, though, yeah. right? <laughs> well, they played a couple, and the drummer just like is, is that is that a synthesizer? They have a bit. So Fab comes out from behind the drums, and he gets on <laughs> one of those like Brandon Flowers synthesizers, and so he's playing the synth. So there's no one on the drums, and then I guess they have this constructive bit where then Julian he has a lyric where he's like, and then I played your drums, and then he's supposed to like get on the drums, but I don't, or if there's supposed to be a drum piece, but then Julian jumps behind the kit. And he starts playing like with the, along with the guys on the track. But he's like, you, if you got behind the drums. It's completely yeah, oh, out man, of time. And it just sounds like somebody fucking around. And then you can tell the bit's falling apart. So then he abandons it. And the and song's he, over. And he leaves the kit and the song just kind of falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was another, there was, a, there was a few parts like that. Oh, like, there was, yeah, it was awesome. And, and the best part about it is that like, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're playing opening night at Budweiser. And we know a lot of people who work uh, for, you know, MLSC or Live Nation and Budweiser. It's a big deal for them. It's opening night. The fact they got the strokes, everybody's feeling really good about it. And but the, the strokes are not like if there's like you two tryhards on one end, the strokes are on the other end of the spectrum of yeah. like kind of not giving a shit. And. Um, he goes like, Julian's like, welcome to Budweiser stage. It's a, it's a Budweiser revolution. Who's ready for the Budweiser revolution? <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, so he's kind of taking the piss out of it, but it was to the delight of all the Budweiser people who were like, he fucking said Budweiser sick. Yeah. Like people were just like, anyway, them just being them was kind of perfect. It was so funny. And they all look great. I think they look pretty hip, man. Julian's 40. Yeah, I mean, they're all about that age, They right? came out, like, they were dressed, like, really hip. They all have these wacky sort of New York haircuts. Like No one's no one's bloated. Everyone's kind of, like, 
skinny and who's the coolest member? Julian's always looked. Bloated. Albert Hammond was dressed the coolest last night. He was wearing like a yellow suit. Like he looked like he was in like a totally different band. I but saw that. Yeah, it kind of works though on stage, right? And then Nikolai, the bass player, was wearing like those like old grandma sunglasses that you have to wear because of your like cataracts. <laughs> he was wearing these on a dark stage, like the Terminator huge ones. Yes, right. And then just like this red coat, like zipped up like a bomber, and then just like playing his. Who's bass. the other guitarist? Valencia. Nick Valencia. Yeah. I think he's the coolest. Yeah, player. Sean Dawson would say Nick Valencia is the coolest because Sean. So Sean Shane Cunningham, yeah. But he was dressed the weirdest. He almost looked like he was like... Between him and Julian, because at one point Julian put on like a long coat, they kind of looked like. Do uh, you guys remember when, like, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, when they're the Wild Stallions in the future? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't remember. That. It's a weird reference, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they. I thought they looked really cool. They know. Yeah, actually, Nick was wearing um, these very baggy khaki tapered pants. though. But no, but they rolled thought, up. Rolled up, I think. Oh, were they rolled up? Because yeah. I go, what's Nick wearing to Sean? And then Sean goes, he's wearing uh, uh, cargo pants. Yeah, they were very baggy, but he And I thought he off. was kidding. To no. Like no, no, no. He was wasn't a wearing a, a, a leopard uh, coat, was he? I don't think so. He that was probably the joke Yeah, he was kind of wearing like a baggy. It was His whole outfit was kind of mm-hmm. weird. Um, but uh, at one point, too, you'll appreciate this, Shane. There was like there was like a break, and uh, Julian's like, I, uh, I just want to talk about uh, last night. Not, <laughs> not the song, not the song. He's like, actually, last night. So we were in town, and uh, the Raptors were playing. And, and it, it gets like, a big crowd, a big applause. Um, he goes, so uh, they said we could come to the show and uh, come to the game. Come to the game. He goes, and, uh, and he starts laughing. He goes, well, uh, Nikolai and uh, Nick uh, were very responsible, and they got there, and they got their courtside seats. He goes, and uh, me and Albert, uh, we took a bit of time. Albert doesn't care about basketball. Uh, and I, tr- I just explained to him, you just have to be there for the last five minutes. He goes, so we get there with about five minutes left. And, uh, <laughs> five minutes, two minutes to go in the game. He goes, yeah, two minutes to go in the game. He goes, and they wouldn't let us in. He goes, they wouldn't let us in. The guy, the guy says, no, 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 it's done. Went to double overtime. <laughs> he's like explaining it all. Blah, blah, blah. And so it's so funny. And he's like, oh, and Fab was there. Fab went to the game too. So I guess three, three-fifths of the band went. Albert and Julian tried to get in, couldn't get in. Goes to double overtime. He goes, and then today, it's like, uh, I saw Giannis doing an interview at our hotel. And then the whole crowd starts booing. He goes, I said I saw him. I didn't sleep with him. <laughs> he was being so loose and funny. That was when he was at his best. Like, oh, he was yeah. very loose. But then as the show went on, at some point, when, I don't know if it was a part for a stage banter or a setup, but he just handed the mic to Albert. And Albert kept trying to give him the mic back. And then Julian gave him the mic again. And Albert's like, I'm not prepared for this. And then he goes, how's everybody feeling? And then everybody starts cheering. And now he's doing the crowd work for, <laughs> for Jules, who's gone back to the kit to just have a drink of his water or whatever. From the way I observed it is that, okay, it's, the Strokes have never had a really a bigger show in Toronto. It's like they have pulled off this thing where they go away and there's more demand than, than ever for this band which every band would love to do. It's not quite the reality for any band but The Strokes and a handful of others. So they're, they're playing like opening night, Budweiser stage. It's sold out. Everybody's so excited to be there despite it being kind of cold. And so it's that moment in the show when Julian ought to stop being the cool guy for literally four seconds and just say something kind of earnest and you know a little gratitude to the crowd. But he just can't do it. He can't really bring himself to do it. Like, like I can sense, like he, he kind of wanted to, and then and and then he's like, ah. and then you could see Albert Hammond had he'd been to the mic a couple of times. He's like, maybe Albert will do it. And then Albert's like, we feeling okay, guys? Like the one thing where he started pandering to the crowd. It was it was a really funny moment. I was like, man, these guys just don't give a fuck. And I, I think about the band a lot because they obviously are rich kids from New York. Uh, so they come from a place of privilege. And also, their first record when they're like 20 years old ends up being one of the most important records of the generation. So it's like all they've ever really... And and, and they've sort of gone on and have this like legacy where people 20 years later still love their band. So there hasn't been really many like pitfalls in their career. Yeah. So all they've known is privilege. Like All they know is like, sure, I'll go to sit courtside at a Raptors game and... I'll show up with two minutes to go. It's like, yeah. Uh, and I just think it must be so interesting. I always think we talk about this a lot when it comes to celebrities. Like when, when you became famous has a lot to do with like your world outlook. Like if, if you have been a struggling, you know, comic, but you break it when you're 40, you have all that resentment and baggage from the first, you know, 20 years of adulthood of like struggling. But if you've been famous since a young person, it's kind of gone your way. It's like, 
Use your reality is a whole whole other thing. Yeah, it's hard to fathom. Yeah, it's like you kind of need the losses in order to build the character and make you sort of appreciate things. If you just kind of constantly win or aren't really challenged, yeah, it's an interesting place to come from. Not that they probably don't have disappointments and you of know course, they, they've had inter- internal conflict and stuff like that. But to your point, whenever they've wanted to get together and sort of do the summer rounds, it's like there's a massive bag of cash they're waiting for them every time they decide to do it. Did you read the book? Meet me in the bathroom. Anybody? Read I didn't know about those New York City bands. Like at, I, during I, that, I time? read a bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a book about the scene in New York in like 2001 it's in the style of that SNL book right yeah yeah it's a, I guess oral history right mm-hmm. yeah and it's with the LCD sound system the Strokes the Ryan Adams also uh, there was uh, just, to, just to wrap up the show there was also clearly at the end some miscommunication about what they were going to do and our buddy Jug Mike M he found the set list so they, they killed their second encore they were supposed to come out and do Juice Box and you could tell they were they were, basically they would huddle and start to figure out like it was very loose like it was like they had their set list but then it was like they were kind of figuring it out on stage would you agree with that oh, as yeah, they like went be- between some songs they sort of like walk over to each other they don't really so there was an encore and they canceled it so so they had they, they so they 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 do last night at the end of the the regular set then they go off and the way they kind of went off and the way that last night started it was kind of like is this it like are they kind of shutting this thing down. They go off, the lights don't come up, they come out, they do two more songs, they do, uh, I think, Someday, and uh, I can't remember the other one was, and uh, and then those are the last two songs, and just before they did that, I think Albert was like, this is our last song, and they did it, and then they went off, but there was still like a bit of time before the fireworks and all this stuff, so we are like, are they coming out for another encore, and they didn't, but they found, uh, Mike M found the set list, and there was supposed to be one last song, they are supposed to come out one last time. What, yeah, was, what was the last song? It was Juice Box. Oh, Juice Box, yeah. right. Yeah. But, uh, so who knows why they didn't decide to come back out, but like I said, it was kind of part of the charm of it and what you kind of get it, it was the it was the pure strokes experience i mm-hmm. felt like yeah so how much would the tickets have cost had you purchased them those those in our section i don't know okay when you played the bud stage yeah was there more people there for the strokes or less both were sold out wow so and and do you Ours think did sell out a little faster <laughs> so do you think that the strokes still got paid more than you Definitely. They're Why is that? Though? It's the way it works, right? Yeah. Uh, well, one, the tickets were more expensive for the Stroke Show. We, you know, we're a band of the people. We like to keep it a you know a decent clip. And uh, also, I think because it's the kickoff to the twenty fifth year of Budweiser Stage, I think they probably made them an offer they couldn't refuse. Is my right. guess. Yeah. So after after the show, you guys have to wait around for fireworks. No, they ended up timing it like really well. So like the show ends, and then like a couple minutes later, as you think that it's like kind of like wrapping up, where you go all these fireworks start going off to sort of like signal the kickoff of the season. And I will say, you know, congrats to, to everybody and kudos to everyone that, that launched the season because it was an awesome night. It was a great night. It was yeah. amazing. And uh, the nut was in fine form and, and really sort of... Um, Did he bring out like a tray of brews when the fireworks were going out or anything? <laughs> was, well, I think my brother was saying like he, he was going to come out and introduce the band and all that. Like, you know, <laughs> out of personal presence. Out of personal Strokes at Bud Stage. Uh, well, it was, it was a fun moment because as we, as you uh, mentioned earlier in the pod... Um, um, Albert Hammond Jr. did hang out in my apartment one time in 2010, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So this ba- shows how industrious, uh, industri- like how 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 ambitious uh, the nut is. When he was just like literally like booking shows and DJing at Absinthe and Hamilton in 2008, yeah. during like a downtime for the Strokes or whatever, 2007. I don't even know what it was. He ended up booking Albert Hammond to come up from New York and DJ at Absinthe and. To kill time before the show, he hung out at Max's. Like you guys all live together at the Onyx. Yeah, basically, the nut picked up at Albert Hammond. Were you in the car with him? Uh, n- no, I was waiting nervously in the apartment. In the apartment, okay. <laughs> in, in my in my apartment, just a bunch of goofball kids. Like, so, so basically, like, the nut picks up Albert Hammond Jr. from the airport. He flew in from New York. He picks him up in his like kind of beater car. He didn't like <laughs> rent anything fancy. He drives him. This is Abraham Jr. Famously had some uh, drug issues, and he's totally sober now. So Abraham Jr. shows up to my apartment with a small Tim Hortons coffee. It's like ten o'clock at night. He sort of like hangs out, sort of nervously, while like what? How many people were there? Like ten people. Everyone's just staring at him. No one's saying anything. <laughs> and by the way, this is a small apartment in downtown Hamilton, and we're all kind of making small talk. And then he DJs. And at the apartment, wow! <laughs> no, no, he goes <laughs> out and, his little, yeah. <laughs> and then I think he flew out to France the next day to meet his model girlfriend. I think I think Virgil, not to get in, into his personal business, like paid him like fifteen hundred bucks or something. It was not no, all, no, it was more than that. How much was it? It was like not to get into his personal business, but I believe <laughs> I believe it was ten G's. Oh, really? And I was like, how is that possible that you guys could still make money? But maybe it is because now ten G's seems a lot less than it did back then. But 
Because you're making that Albert Hammond money now. Well, once you buy a house, you're like, oh, fuck, this is all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's just to fix my basement, yeah. bro. Yeah. That's why Albert took the git. Yeah. Kid. He had a, that's a shed. He had a reno. <laughs> well, we do need a shed. Uh, so, yeah. Um, anyway, I just I think it sort of speaks to uh, to Birchall's ambitions that he would like make that happen in little old Hamilton. Because according to his Instagram story, he met him at a bowling alley and then approached him. At Brooklyn. No, I think he met the, the Strokes manager at a, at a bowling alley in Brooklyn. Brooklyn Bowl is mm-hmm. what it's called. Is that I think, how that I think that's how yeah, he I made Yeah, I think it. there was a little And then he reached out and that's how he got Albert Hammond to come to Hamilton. I think he also sold Hamilton as Toronto. It's like, come DJ for me at a cool place. Like, we're in GTA, like Toronto, but... Hey man, fake it till you make it. Yeah, but Albert Hammond shows up. He's like, where the fuck am I? This is not Toronto. <laughs> uh, and are they done for shows? So I can't, like, could I go to No, I don't or? know when they're coming back to Toronto. No, they're doing... Um, they, you look at the website. They're doing, like, 10 dates this summer maybe but in, not in Toronto no not oh, okay. in Toronto yeah you should have been there you were the only thing missing from the old I reunion. know but Bachelorette was on it was oh is that starting up again yeah I know they kind of snuck it in there oh shit it's very interesting this season it's all nice guys that's oh, the I, 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 mean, no okay, I want to get into that we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it after that uh, also after the stroke show uh, we all ended up getting ushered into like the Amex lounge mm-hmm. and because obviously Max and the Arkells guys are like alumni. They pl- they played Bud Stage, you know. They got special treatment, so they they funneled us into like this like uh, VIP section where we had like a dedicated server with open bar and like Billy Talent, Ben from Billy Talent, the singer was there. Jimmy from Metric was hanging. So it's all these dudes just hanging out, and so like I was having a beer, and I was like, man, this is really fun. And this kind of speaks to like when you have a kid. Is it's like in the old days, I'd be like, man, we just saw a Stroke show. We're hanging out in this cool spot. It's open bar, but I was like, it was getting close to midnight. The head was starting to nod. I'm like. Well, got to pack it up. <laughs> so I literally did my round, shook everybody's hand, like said bye to Dan, Greg, Simon Jane was there. So you say the head started to nod. You mean you're you're starting to sleep? I can you're feel standing? myself starting to get so tired because okay. I wake up with the baby so early. Yeah. So it's just like I don't have my, my party legs under me anymore. It's so, just the reality. Was that part uh, just for an audience of one of Danica? <laughs> what I just said? Yeah. Yes. I'm very responsible, honey. <laughs> <laughs> this is like when, when one of Trump's aide goes on, 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 a, on Fox or CNN and just like they're really just trying to... <laughs> Listen, I could have stayed till two drinking open bar, but I chose to come home to you and our child. Uh, but it was actually really fun. It was. Were all the guys allowed into the secret Arkells area, or only a couple of like? Six no, the wheels? people who were with us. I mean, a lot of the champagne boys had to go back to Hamilton, so uh, so it was a smaller group. Last thing on the strokes, um, the question for you guys: like, I I, I like to think that um, if we do anything in our like professional career, anything that good comes our ways. Like, we have moments of, like, real appreciation, and we, like, look back, and we're like, you guys say this all the time. It's like, I can't believe, like, I'm just a kid from Hamilton, like, have this job. Like, you thank your lucky stars. All the time. And, like, and I can go on and pontificate just about, like, how lucky I feel about our band and the life I get to live. Do those guys ever have that conversation? Like, like even in their most intimate moments with their closest friends? Like, and it's also, and I ask because the whole thing is just them not giving a fuck. So them being super earnest, it would be very strange. But like, do you think any of those guys go home to their pals and goes, guys, this is just like, what a life we're living. Or, or that would be so off-brand or, or a feeling that they just don't have. Like, what do you think? I don't know. They're probably, because part of growing up is like the dreaming part, right? You're always like, oh, I want to get it. And then once you get it, you're like, I can't believe I got it. But once you get it so young, I feel like you're like, oh, once I get there, it's not as good as you think it would be. So it's like, you're more, you're more apt to be like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Money doesn't matter. This doesn't, it's yeah, not oh, important. Sure. What's important is mm-hmm. family and stuff like that. I would think. Yeah. Well, sometimes I just wonder, like when I was thinking about, like when I was looking at them, I'm like, I wonder what they do with their days. Like they don't have to do a job, you know? So it's like, just go to the bagel shop and it's like, oh yeah, I play bass in the strokes. And like, I, like, I wonder, even though like, like you said, like money doesn't necessarily matter. I wonder if to Max's point, do they, do they reflect and be like, Man, thank God I'm not like I don't have to go to a job, and but I don't have to worry about money. Like, it's a pretty amazing position to be in. Or because they've been doing this since they're 20, they don't know what it's like to maybe go to a nine to five. So they don't even know. They can't even appreciate the fact that they've avoided that sort of fate. Yeah, yeah. and also the way like, and this goes for basically every man that's ever existed. It's like the none of them are like particularly like great musicians or like like what makes a band a band is like sort of like the alchemy of personalities. Like, you know. Uh, playing together and and it's totally worked out in their favor but like they are one in a million or one in a hundred million of, yeah. of bands that like it worked out in, in exactly the right way and i don't know that's yeah it, there's a definitely another reality for them where everybody is just like working at the guitar store or something like that <laughs> i don't know yeah 
Strokes. Strokes. Great show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great to be there. And uh, big props to Manager Ash for uh, getting me in last minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, what else do you want to talk about? Abortion. On, on freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is obviously a hot topic. Uh, it's been in the news lately that uh, in Alabama they've, they've uh, I think, put forth a bill they want to pass, or did they pass it? I, I, forgive my ignorance. I think I think basically they, they passed it in Alabama, but um, – because that's against what the Supreme Court, like on a federal level, it'll have level. to go up the chain, and yeah, and get people think it will get struck down. But yeah. but it's people are concerned that it's heading in that direction, and things could change because the court is now more conservative with uh, Kavanaugh. Yeah, yeah, which was why that was such a, a big fight, obviously. So, um, do we think in general people are happy about this or uh, against it? <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Well, yeah. I mean, the, okay. The reason why I want to bring, it, I mean, it's, it's fair to say we're all pro-choice. We're all pretty liberal liberal guys in the room. So, like th- that part of the. Uh, Discussion, I don't think, is particularly interesting. Um, but uh, I want to read one thing uh, that I sent to you guys. Basically, I'm always interested in these sort of these cultural conversations where there's a divide between you know people that are conservative and people that are liberal, and how you go about trying to change the hearts and minds of people, or, or, especially when you think. Um, People are being you know somewhat closed off, like people who are pro uh, life who have no interest in kind of finding out why people would want to or need an abortion and there's a Christian pastor named Dave Barnhart, and this was shared a lot on social media, and I just want to read exactly what he wrote. He said, The unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or chronically poor. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you're not politically correct, unlike the widows. They don't ask you to question patriarchy, unlike orphans. They don't need money, education, or childcare, unlike aliens. They uh, don't bring all that racial, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships. And when they are born, you can forget about them because they cease to be unborn. It's almost as if by being born, they have died to you. You can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus but actually dislike the people who breathe prisoners immigrants the sick the poor widows orphans all those groups are un- that are specifically mentioned in the bible they all get thrown under the bus for the unborn anyway i know it was a long passage but i thought it was really powerful because i looked him up and he's a southern dude who's a christian man and i i just like like the idea of like i think sometimes to really hammer home a good idea you need to get people from that in group to be the people spreading the message because to hear a bunch of like coastal liberal people that from of means waving their finger doesn't always do the best job of maybe convincing people in Alabama that they might be in the on the wrong side of history here yeah absolutely I mean yeah like I guess if we're discussing sort of like the best way to bring people to your way of thinking yes yeah like that, a, that's a kind of what I wanted to talk about of... it's just like as a progressive what's the most pragmatic way for progress well, this is a complicated one, obviously, because people feel very passionately about it. And they're like, this, is this thing a debatable thing when we're talking about life, uh-huh. if, if you're going from their, their point of sure. view? And then also there's the sort of more complicated issue, which is like the people that are making this choice about whether or not to ban abortion are all men. There's no women involved yeah. in the decision. And it's, it really is sort of like... Um, it's all Republican men. And, yeah, and, and the there's thing. some Republican women, too, that also signed it. So it's yeah. more of a Republican, Democratic. But by and large, it's sort of like men making decisions or, or sort of outlawing something that a lot of people feel women should be able to make that choice of course. for themselves. But it is like a very complicated and nuanced subject that with mm-hmm. people have all sorts of sort of thoughts on it. And I think that's why it is so passionate. And it's also hard for like, you know, someone listening to this might be like, well, three dudes are going to sit around and sort of talk about abortion in mm-hmm. a way where it's like, you know, maybe it's not even our choice. Others would argue, well, yes, it is because it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. And there's, there's many sort of sides to it that do make it nuanced. Sure. Yeah. And I, by the way, I should have prefaced this by saying, yeah, exactly what you said that like three dudes talk. It's like, obviously I think women should have the right to choose like all those. Uh, yeah. Th- those are obviously, I was more just interested in the idea of like, shit, how do you, how do you get people on side? You know? And, and, and I have, well, this is a hard one because I think the people that, are pro-life, not pro-choice. Yeah. I don't know how much you can get them on side because mm-hmm. for them, they feel it's a life or death issue. That there's, sure. there's, no, there's basically no reasoning there. Yeah. I heard a good point um, in the Slate Political Gap Fest, which is one of my favorite political podcasts. Um, David Plot said, 
uh, basically what's infuriating because he said you know you can offer a good faith argument that these people really drew truly believe that you know life starts at conception and, and it come that part comes from say a good place but cu- that coupled with like no interest in the welfare of a child once they're born and in, in offering services uh for for young mothers or oh, it feels entirely hypocritical yeah exactly it's like you're not really caring about this whole other part that's a that's so they care equation. about life but not quality of life yeah exactly or sex education or you know public schools like any of those other things these lawmakers have shown no interest in well the other issue too is that it, a lot of people feel this is about control it's about control over women and women's bodies so it's like telling people you can't do this or you can do this and and, and the way the way i'm tying this in is that because they don't care once the baby's here you know what I mean? It's like they present like they're like, this is about life and we need to protect the life. But then once the baby's born, they don't give a shit about the baby. So really then it's like, what is it about? Is it about the idea that like, is it, is, is it as true as them saying, wait, life is when the baby's conceived and that's why we care? Or is it more like, you can't do this and this is why you can't do this and we're in control of your body. And I think that's why people that are pro-choice are like, hey, fuck you. Don't tell me what to do of with course. my body. Like, I will do this. But it still kind of ignores the greater debate that, like, what is life and, sure. I guess, what's the responsibility there? Yeah. Um, this, this also ties in – so in, in uh, Arkell's band van conversation, whenever we're talking about any political matters, um, I'd say Nick and I, when it comes to, like, what we want and, uh, in a society are, is very similar. How we get there is usually the, the debate. So and, – and, and the most sort of simple analogy is – like the Martin Luther King versus the Malcolm X way of finding progress. And Malcolm X, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he preached violence, but he was more, uh, more interested in like, we got to do it. We got to like, any means necessary, any means necessary where Martin Luther King Jr. W- was a little more inclusive. He said like, everybody's my brother. You know, like he talked in a more inclusive language. I'd say Nick is more on the Malcolm X side of things. I'm more on the Martin Luther King Jr. side of things. And, um, yeah, and, and, and so the question I have to ask myself, though, is like, at what point is sort of the feel-good Martin Luther King, let's put, let's put our, our, our arm around our enemy, that tactic, when is, when is that just unhelpful, or when is that not getting the point across? Well, you also, the other thing, too, is it's like, how long do you wait before you get radical? And yeah. sometimes it's too late. By the time you get radical, you're like, oh, wait, they've already taken away our rights. Yeah, we should have got, even... we, we, needed to put, we needed to put our foot down months ago. Yeah. Jane? Any thoughts? Uh, I was just wondering about condoms. Okay. Like, isn't that in the... <laughs> <laughs> they suck. <laughs> no, undoubtedly, it doesn't feel as good. Like, we, there's no debate there. But, I mean, if you already use a condom and you're, you know, you're releasing into the condom, is, is that looked at by these people as... Well, that's part of the debate. And it's strictest interpretation. But should they, should they outlaw those? It's good. Well, I mean, there's that Monty Python song, like, uh, every sperm is sacred, every mm-hmm. sperm is good, uh, if a sperm is wasted, God gets quite irate, that's it, every sperm is, yeah, anyway, there's a song <laughs> all about it, and it's like, it's like these Catholic families, and they have, like, 50 kids and all that, and they sing about, sort of, how, how you can't spill, spill your seed if it's not to procreate, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, where do we take it then, so is, is any birth control you know what I mean? Acceptable within like a religious terms or the strictest interpretation of because like that's a, the next step, right? After that, and then Jay Owings illegal. <laughs> <laughs> First they came for the garbage cans, <laughs> then the pullout method. You know, yeah. Which which comes first, Jay? It's a slippery slope. Okay, yeah. I, I think I think uh, Jay. <laughs> Listen, when you we talk about getting radical, the minute they start to talk about taking away Jay Owings. <laughs> I'm the Malcolm X of that one. We needed to get radical six months ago. Yeah, our hands are all in cages. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those, those are my thoughts. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, anyway, uh, not to be flip about it because it's a heavy topic. It but, is a heavy topic. Yeah. And then the other thing, um, you know, the there's some members of parliament in Ontario, uh, the, the Conservative Party. There's a young guy who's so fucking hateable. He's a... Uh, this dude from, I think, St. Catharines. He's got a long last name that I can't pronounce. Yeah, but, he was like one of the youngest to be Yeah, he's elected. like 21 yeah. years old, yeah, but he's super guy. conservative. And he, he said something about, like, we're going to make abortion unfathomable by the time, uh, by the, in my lifetime or something. And, uh, yeah, so there's definitely a concern in Canada that, you know, things might head that direction. We lean so liberal in this country. Yeah. But maybe I'm not being radical. Maybe it's like I'm not seeing the warning signs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the last thing I'll say is, isn't it interesting? Isn't it crazy how... Are you guys Handmaid's Tale fans? I've seen the first season. Um, 
so th- th- that uh, the outfit that yeah. uh, the, the the handmaid's outfit uh, that is showing up at all these demonstrations. Basically, it's like by people who are protesting this thing. Uh, and it just must be so interesting for Margaret Atwood, who's been a pretty acclaimed, respected author for decades now, this far into her career. She's never been more relevant. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just because that show is so popular and it speaks to the, the time we're living in that, you know, she's, I think, what, in her late 70s? Yeah, well, and, she, you know, she wrote that book and it turned out to be a bit prescient. Like, it, we're and actually heading that, that way. Too. Yeah, that book, that, yeah, you didn't know that. I, I was shocked when I heard that that book was, is not a new book. That well, book the 80s was also a very conservative decade. Yeah. Like Reagan and uh-huh. sort of like, you know, the war on drugs and all. You know, there, I mean, maybe that's what she was seeing. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Was projecting quite, out. Yeah, quite profound. Um, but yeah, just it's kind of crazy how like that piece of pop culture, whenever you see it, come like show up in a, in a real life rally for something that's really important. You just go, wow, the impact of that show is pretty incredible. I feel like maybe North America is very like, I don't know why I went so high pitched there. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> maybe North America is uh... imagine your voice never went back to normal again. <laughs> oh no guys, I don't know if I can keep this podcast. Uh, so I, I wonder if like uh, conservatism, like liberalism, uh, if if it, if it ebbs and flows, right? Because it's like in North America, it's like obviously things were very conservative, like basically coming. I mean, the twenties were a little bit more roaring, you know what I mean? And then uh, it's basically kind of conservative. Like there's war. We've haven't we've never lived in a time of war, and there hasn't really been a time. Well, of people war. would say that like the Iraq wars. Were sure, but yeah. come on, like I think that's something that affects us. Like the suburbs have thrived for the last seventy years sure. in North America. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's like the 60s, obviously, there's counterculture in the hippies and things became like sort of there's like there's a counterculture to the, the it was a uh, sort of like um, in response to the, the 50s and early 60s. Right. And then that kind of goes through the 70s, which are loose. Then the 80s become sort of conservative again. The 90s get loose again with like sort of like grunge and Bill Clinton and all this stuff. And it kind of perv- and then the 2000s are kind of like we don't really know what they are. And now we're kind of strokes, in- strokes, baby. <laughs> uh, I just want to listen to some music. Is man. this it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like this existential crisis. Yeah. That's how we'd had it good for so long. We started mm-hmm. contemplating sort of the meaning of our life, which is how you know you're like in a good period of history because you don't have to worry about eating or, mm-hmm. you know, feeding your family. But now we're kind of in this weird battleground and Trump uh, has sort of exasperated it where it's like, you know, there's such a vocal sort of uh, um, a loud group on the left and such a loud group on the right. And it's like they're both battling for the sort of direction of I think like North American pop culture, yeah. like our politics, all that stuff. I just wonder if we're going to sort of continue to ebb and flow. Like, are we going to come out of this into a super liberal area or is it like, do they just sort of, ma- do they coexist going forward in this weird sort of like push and pull? Yeah. Technology's made things weird too. It does. Yeah. And, and like the way news is disseminated because before there was just like three networks basically where everybody yeah. got the same information. Now everybody lives in their own little bubbles and, uh, well, they can't and there's echo the chambers. Mess- no one can control the message anymore. No. Yeah, so, yeah, people, I think, are concerned that uh, we are becoming more and more partisan and more and more divided as a result because, yeah, people just hear what they want to hear. And obviously, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of research on how, you know, f- tech companies like Facebook and Twitter, it's like they feed you stuff that is, that is negative and that it will make you click and that fucks up your emotions in a different kind of way and you know, the, the way you see the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I like. I just wonder what that means for the collective, how we go forward. Because in the past, it's like, oh, someone that's like liberal and someone that's conservative can live in the same neighborhood and go and play hockey together, you know, and they can agree to disagree. It's become so polarized now. Are we just going to sort of like find our crews, our groups, our, our like-minded people and sort of like build our own communities, which is kind of already happening. Uh-huh. But how does that look along like provincial lines, city lines, state lines? Like, is there going to be like... Well, I mean, you think about the uh, the states and you're like... There should it should just sounds like it should be two different countries, right? right you know, it right. should just be like the blue states and the red states, and they should just be different countries altogether. And they, they seem can, to want very different things. Yeah, and they want to be governed in, governed in a different way. Yeah. They want social programs in a different way, and it's like, yeah, I, I wonder if it'll ever split off into like this is how we operate and this is how they operate, or if everyone's going to still try to be, you know. Quebec tried to do that to us back in the day. They did. That's yeah. true. That's that was right. a close vote. Yeah, they seem to be okay now, mm-hmm. the, the French. Speaking, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all worked out. They're still Canadian. Yeah, nice. I'm happy for that. I love going to Quebec. I'm glad they're part of Canada. I'm glad I don't need my passport to go into Quebec. I know. The province of Quebec. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, you know, when you do vote to leave, when you do have a, a, a sort of a referendum such as Brexit, that thing's been a complete disaster, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah, has it ever. Hey, uh, this is a question for our listeners out there. If you're still even if listening. If you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's how far oh, shit. Out. Mike's on one. He's a little hungover from the strokes. <laughs> um, do we sound 
intelligent talking about stuff like <laughs> abortion or should we just shut the fuck up because because this is something that we would actually talk about at a bar but but is the premise of three white dudes talking about it, is, is any is that useful at all anyway you let us know if, if this was a useful conversation and we should continue to talk about serious matters or we should just talk about the season finale we're kind of saying the women should decide right no yeah Aren't we, we? we did yeah we did we're we're that. we're supporting them so i would think that this is it's good to speak up if you're one of the men sure the, yeah, the, we, yeah the good we're allies in that sense i but, think Shane summed up sort of the position perfectly a couple episodes ago where it's like, we're not experts on anything. We're yeah. just three guys talking the way we would talk in a bar. It's just we're deciding to hold a microphone. But does it annoy people, do you think? That it, it annoys that, 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 that me, though. subject matter? <laughs> what? It annoys me when they're like, oh, three white guys talking about it. I think it's better to have three white guys talking about it in a way that's positive. Because then it's creating good role models for people hearing white guys actually supporting mm. things that are on the... On the woman's side. Sure. And it'd be easier for us to just come on and make like Game of Thrones boob jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes well, that's it's more like, fun. Why, why can't we be in the conversation? Why can't everyone be in the conversation? Like yeah. this is a podcast. Start your own podcast and start talking about it mm-hmm. if you're a woman. Like honestly, it's I easy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, you can tweet at us. Or let Hit us, us up. Hit us up. We love, by the way, listeners, we love hearing things you like or dislike about the show. So keep, keep at it. So, Max, you uh, sort of beautifully segued into Game of Thrones there, but then we stepped on it. I know. But it guys. was a nice segue. Uh-huh, thank you. Uh, so Game of Thrones just wrapped up. Uh, if you've listened to us, you do know that I am a huge uh, Game of Thrones fan. Uh, I started reading the books in 2006 or seven, long before there was ever a TV show. Uh, Shane has just come to the Game of Thrones because his wife watches it. So you've watched this last season, but nothing before that. I've, I've only seen two episodes this season. Oh, okay. So you're yeah. just sort of popping in and out. Did you watch the finale? Mostly out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I was doing something downstairs, uh, which may be illegal soon. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I, <laughs> I was going to say I came back up, but I, oh, I, I, I walked up the stairs and then I, I kind of tried to watch it and then I fell asleep. What is in your basement? What were you doing in your basement? I was editing uh, this Family Tree podcast. Oh. If you must know. I started my own podcast like I'm suggesting all the women out there do. <laughs> um, so the series finale aired on Sunday night. Uh, I, we, we, like I said, we went to the Raptors game where they, uh, they won. So it's 2-1 in that series. And then I went home and I, I opened my laptop and I threw on Crave. And I, I watched the, the series finale. Sort of this thing that I've been invested in for more than a decade uh, come to an end. Have you read the books? Oh, yeah. I read the books before it was ever even a TV show. Oh wow! Yeah, I said so that while you were out getting that. Series. Manager Ash brought uh, Max some of these egg things from Starbucks. Yeah, so I was really hungry. While Shane and I were just talking, he actually left the room, went and got his egg bites, and came back, and he's like, "Did you read the books? <laughs> like, I just said that." Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess the reason we're going to talk about this is because collectively, it seems everybody is extremely disappointed in the the, the way it ended. But didn't the books finish? He's like, what's the story there? There's some issue, right? So basically, he started this epic fantasy series in the early 90s. He's plotted all these books, and there's two left to be written. Um, he just hasn't got around to it yet. No, and the shows, they roughly every season covers one book. That's kind of how the show is plotted out. So when they started the show, they're like, well, by the time we get to, because he'd already had all the books sort of up until these last two, like, by the time we get to season five, he'll have his shit together. Like, he'll, he'll have written book six and hopefully seven. Uh, he did not do that. Uh, and that's a big point of contention for a lot of How people. How old is it? What's his name again? George R. R. Martin. Is he kind of a wacky dude? What's his yeah, name? he's like a wacky like fantasy writer. And he started chirping in and throwing shade to uh, get off the fact that he hasn't uh, finished these books. Yeah. He's like, oh, they're, uh, the Avengers did it pretty well, <laughs> but this show is not doing too too good. Like He, he yeah. alluded to the fact that Game of Thrones didn't isn't wrapping things up as good as Avengers did. Yeah, he so like and, and so, so he told these runners, uh, Benioff and Weiss, how the show en- or how the books end, but he didn't tell them how it got That's there. Kind of funny. He's like he's like this is what happens in the end, but he didn't tell them how they got there. So then essentially, if his books weren't done by the time season five was done, they had to figure out how to get there on their own. This is where all the fans have an issue. So there's there's two. There's the book readers that are like, oh, these guys don't understand what this show is about and what makes it special or these books are about what makes them special and then there's like the tv fans that never read the books and they're like the quality of the show seems kind of whack and it's like well it's directly tied to the fact that they had a roadmap of this rich source material and then all of a sudden they were on their own and you're like oh they're just a couple tv guys when you don't have the the, the sort of the amazing tapestry of george R. R. martin's work they just became like kind of like characters were surviving because of plot mechanism uh, like it, it wasn't nothing happened that really made sense as far as character motivation they started like messing with things in a way that people were just like 
what happened to this show? That's that's sort of the disappointment. But don't you think he should have completed it? Oh, yeah. Or shut up and not complain about it? He's actually largely been good about not... He doesn't attack this show publicly, but what Shane's referring to is he he posted a blog about Avengers Endgame and how they served every character perfectly in such a big battle with so many yeah. characters. And it felt like a complete... like. Sub- he was obviously being passive-aggressive, Absolutely. which is worse than being direct. Totally. Um, but then the, fina- the series finale aired and people were very disappointed. Are you one of those people? I laughed out loud twice at, at the finale. Like at how two, ridiculous it was? At two, two things that happened that honestly, like, that's not the reaction. Well, you at one point they did, they had a bit of a funny part, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, they were doing a vote and the guy's like, uh, wait, wh- why are we just ourselves voting? We should open it up to the people and have them vote. And then I went to Alex and go, watch, uh, they're going to start all laughing. I said that as a joke. Yeah. And then they all start laughing. And he's yeah. like, why don't we let my horse vote? Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of a sillier part than I thought that show was about. Was oh, that one of the parts you laughed at? No, I, I, like, I laughed at stuff where it was like, it's like, I think, I don't want to give away spoilers, but basically he, basically there's certain things that Tyrion suggested. And then it's like, wait, what are they doing? And it's like, it's like, why doesn't Grey Worm just kill this? Like, Choices were made and you go, oh, this is because they just needed to have this scene in order to wrap things up. Like everything feels like it's in service to the plot and not necessarily why a character would do something. And it's right. like, so I just would laugh out loud at like a suggestion of what they should maybe do going forward. And I'm like, what? And they're like, somebody would die. And I'd be like, what? You know, at one point, I will say this, a dragon melts the Iron Throne. So, I saw that part. So, so Game of Thrones is literally about the claim to this Iron Throne and how important it is. And, you know, you want to rule all of Westeros. And the, the dragon melts it in some, like, metaphorical show of, like, we need to burn down, you know, the patriarchy and, and the, the idea of one ruler and all this stuff. But it's like, everyone's been making fun. Like, is, is the dragon get nuance? Was the dragon making a metaphorical sort of decision, like, to melt that throne? Like, what was its motivation? Like, and so when I think about the showrunners, I think they're like, yo, this scene is going to blow people's minds. How smart are dragons in the show? Are they <laughs> like the dolphin thing. intelligence? They never explained it. There's never like, no, like for all we know, they're sort of like the intelligence of, like they sort of seem to be like intuitively tied to Daenerys, the mother of dragons. And that's sort of what, what, what helps their motivations. That's the one making out with her nephew, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. But um, when that happened, like I know nothing about the show, but when he went in for the smooch, I was like, he's going to stab her. And then he did. Oh, jeez, there's a spoiler. Oh, come on. At this point, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, you watch that show when it comes out. If, if eight hours after you haven't seen it, that's your problem. Do not be listening to a podcast. Fair enough. Okay, so okay, let's get off the specifics because a lot of people don't care. Here's this. Do fans have a right to be disappointed on this level? And I saw a tweet from Jason Alexander who plays George Costanza on Seinfeld. And he's like, listen, to the runners of the show... I know a thing or two about disappointing series finales. He's like, I think you did a wonderful job. Mm. And for the fans, let's just focus on the joy that it brought oh, us. Yeah. Something like that. George isn't getting upset. Well, no. what's, what's interesting about this particular one, is this the first time this situation has happened where basically a show is based on books. The show becomes a massive juggernaut, like the biggest show in the history of television. And then the book isn't finished. Like, it, like just the... The situation at hand, it's like it's one thing to like write a shitty finale, like like the Seinfeld example. Like there's lots, or, or it was Dex. People hated the Dexter finale. Yeah. People hated the Lost finale. Yeah. This has happened many times over. What makes this situation unique is just like the fact that the guy who created the whole world just never finished it. No, he didn't do his homework. Like he didn't finish <laughs> the assignment on time, and now we're all suffering for it. So okay, better question. Um, who, who's more responsible? George, Georgie Boy or David <laughs> Benioff, like in the sh- who's the show creator? Yeah, Who, who's more responsible for fucking up this finale? I'm gonna put it on Benioff and Weiss only because they get like they've won all these Emmys. They're basically accoladed. My brother was telling me so they got the next Star Wars movie, and my brother was saying that because of the re- the reaction to this last season, they might lose the Star Wars movie now. Come on, that can't happen, really. I, Alex I, told me that's why they rushed this season. Yeah, to get to the Star Wars thing. So isn't that ironic? So this Whoa. is the big knock on them is that everyone like basically HBO said you can run it for as many seasons as you want, have as many episodes. Like the bank is open, whatever you need to spend on these. And they're like, let's wrap it up in two seasons, and we're gonna do shortened seasons. Uh, and so everyone's like, these assholes, instead of giving the keys to somebody else who, who loved cared. the show and would have like nurtured it, the, the, the theory is, I don't know if they're assholes, <laughs> but this is what people say. They, they were like, well, no, it's ours. We want to keep our ball and go home. So they truncated the last two seasons. Wow. They've rushed everything because they want to get out and start doing other stuff. But it's like, that's fine. Go do your Star Wars movie, but hand it off. But they didn't want to hand it off. Is George still going to finish the books now? George R. R. Martin claims he's going to finish the books, but people are concerned because he's a little older. He's maybe not in the best shape. 
Uh, and it, he makes people furious because he's a huge New York Jets fan. Like he loves the New York Jets. <laughs> it's funny because he's like this. He's like this old, like kind of Where's like fantasy writer. Is he? Is he he's American? An American? Yeah. American? Okay. Uh, so he's just like you know, all oh, my dragons and the magic and all that. But then he loves the New York Jets. So on his blog, he'll post about the Jets. Like I can't believe the Jets just drafted this guy or whatever. People are like write the fucking book. <laughs> That's all the comments. And then he had to address people. He's like, I'm allowed to have a life outside of these books. So I like the New York Jets. Okay, let me do that. But it's literally been a decade since he's fucking released a book. It's ridiculous. Like, and it bothers me that I'm even caught up in this whole thing. Like, I wish I never cracked one of those books. Man. That's so funny. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, but it makes people furious. David, uh, D- by the way, I don't know anything about Game of Thor- Thrones. don't really care about Game of Thrones. But David Benioff wrote one of my favorite novels. So he's a bit of a novelist himself. City of Thieves. He wrote that book. Uh, and he also wrote The 25th Hour, starring Ed Norton. I wow. love that movie. You know that? He's also married to Amanda Peet. Yeah, I knew that. Whoa. Yeah. So, yeah. shouts to David Benioff, man. You're, you might be the only person right now <laughs> giving him shouts. He's <laughs> 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 really going against the grain. I find him, he's an impressive career. Two, like, amazing novels. He's, and, uh, you know, doing Star Wars. Sweet. I don't know if he's going to be doing Star Wars, but... <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, but I mean, it is interesting that people get so disappointed. I guess it's a hallmark of how wonderful... Like, I, you put something truly great in the world if they, people care enough to sign a petition and... And the hurt. last season is the hardest thing because part of the show, what makes it good is it's just shocking. Out of nowhere, a main character will just die or a bunch of main characters will just die, right? But but it's here's the thing. It's, it's ostensibly shocking, but when you go back, you realize they spent 10 episodes laying the groundwork. Right. Yeah, I think uh, they they had the shot. But I mean, when you when you only have six to wrap everything up, how are you possibly going to make that good? And anything that happens, you're like, oh well, the clock was winding down; these people had to die. So when the dragon's like burning the world to a crisp, it's pretty expected because that's what they have to do. Yeah, but that's the problem. Is it's like it's a construct outside of the storytelling. It's like, oh, they realized they had to wrap it up quick. So Daenerys Targaryen, she became the Mad Queen literally overnight. It's like she's this beloved character. They set up to be the but hero. But wasn't it leading up to that a little bit? But there's a the thing. If they'd actually done like an extended series, you can show her slowly falling apart and what that does to the relationship with her and John and all this stuff. Like this whole season, John, you know, they, 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 they revealed that his parent, he had this lineage and that he was like the heir to the throne. It meant nothing. Like why would you build up for, for six seasons? And it's because they just had to rush through it. Whereas if they had more time, you can explore the nuance of that. You can see her start to go crazy. You can see her start to get jealous. And you believe it more than just all of a sudden it's like, Cuckoo! And yeah, she's they like, <laughs> it's like that was an odd sound effect they threw. <laughs> she's on the drag. She's gonna go burn the city. It well, reminds- and they gave her that ridiculous makeup that made her look like they crazy. They took her one braid out. Yeah. It's like, oh, she's a crazy lady mm-hmm. now. It's like uh, you remember me, myself, and Irene. Whenever he would turn into Hank, that that weird drums would come. Oh on. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the slow motion. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like that happens, and then she burns the, the the city to the ground. Anyway, it was disappointing. Do you think that uh, it's ridiculous for fans to be this upset? Um. No. Because that's the point of fandom. Mm, yeah. They and, care. P- and I think part of the reason they're upset too is that it's over. I agree. That and now they don't work. have anything, you know. It's, it's like when you break up with a girlfriend or something. They're like, I hated you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like you take away their thrones and soon masturbation will be illegal. Exactly. What do these people have left? 